Welcome to My Property World, a light and informative look at all things property. We have designed this series for people involved in property and property finance in the UK market. However, we do take examples from all around the property world. Our aim is for us to make money from property together. Whether that be buying, selling, financing, trading or getting involved in a deal in another way. We do this by informing, entertaining and enjoying ourselves talking property, which gives you a chance to get to know us, what we're up to and to check us out until you're ready to make money together. In the meantime, My Property World is free and fun, so plug in your headphones and enjoy. We would love for you to like, share and comment, so please do on social media. And if you have questions, ideas for topics or deals you would like to explore, we're always looking for guests, so get in touch via the My Property World profile. Okay, hello and welcome to another episode of My Property World panel. Uh, we're sponsored today by Logan Ramsey's Landlord Studio, um, a, a, a popular um, piece of software for landlords. Uh, there's over 30,000 properties using it already. Uh, and, and Logan's uh, here to try and turn that into 60,000 in the next, next few months. So. Uh, you're very welcome, Logan, and we're joined by uh, Christine Janaway, uh, one of the smartest businesswomen in, in property, a chartered surveyor, uh, expert in residential leasehold and, uh, and, and all manner of, of, uh, of property uh, elements from a surveying point of view. Uh, Christine uh, would be my go-to surveyor in, in just about all uh, complex or curly property matters. Uh, and uh, we're very, very fortunate to have uh, one of the founders of Partners in Property, uh, an MBA. Uh, our good friend John Cox told me to uh, get, get into the mix. Um, the, the current version of Adam Lawrence, uh, who looks, looks somewhat different to the Profile photo that we were sent over prior to. Uh, Adam's a prolific landlord. Um, he's been involved in uh, in the region of 500 plus uh, UK property transactions over the last decade or so. Uh, he runs um, a, a number or, or is a, a owner of a number of other property interests. Uh, and as mentioned, an MBA holder um, and. Uh, you're very welcome, Adam. Thank you very much for that varied introduction. <laughs> <laughs> so you got the MBA in twice. <laughs> we'll get it in again <laughs> later, Adam. The MBA three, three, times the three times is the minimum. Three times is the minimum. I think you could just about uh, write the MBA program, let alone um, you know, lead it at this stage, Adam. So... <laughs> uh, but the rest of us are more impressed by by your 170 kg bench press as a 17 year old. <laughs> right. Wow. Right. Yeah. Okay, and we've got the uh, the fascinating topic today of talking about Section 24 um, mortgage interest relief, essentially. So, um, Christine, uh, what what's your your angle that we're, we're going to be looking at this uh, from today? Well, 
as you know, Will, I, I own a lettings business across the, we operate across the North Cotswolds and what landlords often say to me or ask me is, uh, you know, if this is really hitting me hard. What on earth am I supposed to do about it? What are my options? What are, you know, what can I do to, to mitigate this, uh, this tax hit? And I say, go and talk to your accountant <laughs> or somebody who knows what they're talking about. Don't ask me because I know nothing about that. The first that. piece of advice, check. Yes, exactly, exactly. Go and talk to an expert. Of course, a lot of um, very small portfolio landlords, they they do go and talk to their, um, to their accountants who often are not specialists in this area and to get specialist advice can be expensive and they're looking at it and thinking this is going to cost me more than it's worth so Adam Lawrence you're a massive (laughs) landlord dear so um how how did you go about approaching this and and finding a solution to this as long as we're not talking about my weight then that's okay (laughs) indeed uh, well, I was lucky uh, because in 2012, I already decided I was going to wrap pretty much everything I was doing within limited companies. Uh, and that was, I was, I was lucky because the mortgage environment was quite tough back then for individuals. A lot of these landlords that you're referring to, Christine, you'll inevitably find they did the majority of their portfolio accumulation pre-2008 and lots and lots of them did it between sort of 2003 and 2007 when they perfectly legally were doing lots and lots of transactions that were effectively no money down because credit was so easy to come by. So there's a big concentration of those people who are struggling with it. I only had half a dozen in my personal name um, when when George Osborne waved his magic wand um, in in June 2015. And since then, I've disposed of them once a year to make the most of my CGT allowance either in the open market or sold to one of my limited companies. Not incredibly efficient because when selling to the limited, um, you're obviously still having to pay the 3% additional stamp duty apart from anything else. And there are costs of, of doing that, but then ultimately... And, and maybe, maybe just re- rewinding uh, a step. So uh, we'll get into uh, um, some details. There's a lot of very good questions uh, that we want to cover off today. But w- what is Section 24? W- what does it mean? Uh, well, that's a good opening uh, question. Yes, what maybe, actually is it? Maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't, but um, your, what, what, what is it? So, good, pretty good question, uh, given that's what we're talking about, Will. So, yeah, it's actually... <laughs> Clause 24 of the Finance Act, um, effectively, George Osborne amended um, the tax legislation, uh, and it was voted on through Parliament, obviously, and effectively what it meant was that landlords could, not, could no longer expense the full amount of their mortgage interest against their revenue. So they, could only, they would only get a tax credit rather than full expenses. So it has this really perverse way of effectively adding on the gross revenue that you receive before financing costs onto your taxable income. So that has a number of consequences because it can take your child benefit out if you're a small landlord who would still benefit from child benefit otherwise. Um, If it pushes you above the 100K, then you start to lose your personal allowance if it pushes you into the 150k, you're being taxed at 45%, even when that's not the sort of money that you're making. It then applies a tax credit of 
So if you're a basic rate taxpayer, one property, let's say you earn 20 grand a year and you've got a property that rents for 10 grand a year, it won't make any difference to you. You can effectively still expense your mortgage, um, but that's not a common landlord's profile, let's face it. Um, and it will push people into tax brackets, basically, that they, are, they don't deserve to be in, I, I would say. Um, and therefore, it forms basically part of a tax on revenue rather than a tax on profits, which is very, very distortionary. And there are convoluted examples whereby you can see that people are paying over 100% tax, which obviously makes it unviable for them. That's quite a... That's... <laughs> Logan, you look shocked. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was going to say that's quite a quite a big legislation change, really. Um, well, yeah, it I was mean, phased in, wasn't it, Adam? But yeah, it is. It, is it was, and that was the that was probably the very cleverest and most insidious part of it in many ways. In that he phased it in over four years, so we had twenty five percent incidents in year one, fifty, seventy five, and a hundred, and a lot of people who weren't perhaps as clued up as we might be we're getting caught slowly by this. And I've only felt the pain of the full tax bill in January this year, which has not been a great year for landlords to start feeling massively painful tax bills either, obviously because of the pandemic apart from anything else. So yeah, it was, a, it was particularly cleverly implemented. And yeah, the, the Logan raises a good point in terms of, you know, people worry about precedent. And there's an argument this is retrospective because people had, built these portfolios under old legislation and it's an unfair tax and I'd have to I'd have to have some sympathy for that argument and also that it sets a precedent for taxes like this because if you went and started taxing businesses on turnover and of course there is provision in the tax legislation in the UK to do this in the tech sector these days because the tech companies strip out so much of their profit because the intellectual property resides in Bermuda or whatever because of the tax legislation there um, you know, this sort of tax on turnover is actually quite a dangerous thing. And many corporates are probably quite nervy of, of things like that being brought in. And, and the, uh, the reasoning behind uh, this, this lightning bolt uh, that, that struck down the, uh, the individual landlord who has a privately held uh, property or two, uh, or, or, or 10, as the case may be, or six in your your case uh, at 2015? Yeah, well, what do you want, the above the line or the below the line? Because <laughs> the, the above the line was, was very much, you know, it's, well, uh, let's put it this way, since the withdrawal of uh, Myris in the 1980s, a homeowner can't expense their mortgage against their income, so why should a landlord be able to do it? It's not fair. It's levelling the playing field. There's too many second homes being hoovered up in areas in the southeast, particularly landlords were crowding out first time buyers, et cetera, et cetera. I've never actually seen a data based argument that, that proves that in any way. shape. But that was the above the line argument. The below the line argument might be that George Osborne and many of his cronies were receiving uh, various shares in various institutions that were going to build up residential portfolios on the back of trying to force out the mum and dad landlord. And as you correctly said, the one and two property landlord is 84% of the landlords in the UK. So it's not 84% of the properties, but it's 84% of the landlords. So there's a lot of people who've got one or two. The, the classic accidental landlord, moved house, kept it, or moved house, didn't really make the rent it, but couldn't sell it at the time for one reason or another. 
and they've got one one buy to let. Those are the people um, that, that they're trying to, in my view, trying to force out of the sector because they want a better tax regime, more control, but also because they want to open the playing open the uh, the playing field wide open for them to build massive institutional portfolios of residential property. Do you think? Yeah, you- no, I think you're absolutely right. I think, um, I mean, we talked about this a bit last week, didn't we? Um, there's been a, a push, an, an incremental push over the last, I would say, more than 10 years to persuade, cajole and then force small landlords with one or two and the accidental landlords out of the rental market because they the government seem to perceive them as being unprofessional they think that they're the ones who don't provide good quality accommodation perhaps or they just don't want them there they'd rather see professional institutional investment into resi but i mean if you think about that long term if that's the way we go completely um i mean there was a something on the tv last night apparently about large investment institutions owning care home companies and that's the way it's going to go with all the money going offshore with the layers and layers of um, interests which are not in the legal interests which are not in the interests of the actual people who live in those properties they're a million miles away from those interests and um uh, yeah, in the uh, in the article um, or, or the piece that Christine's referring to, uh, they did a uh, analysis of of what portion of the uh, the state monies that were going into the care home sector or, or this particular group, um, what it was it being spent on, and I think very roughly I might have these numbers a little bit wrong. Sixty five percent of the the money coming in. Uh, was going on staffing costs, and there were some other administrative expenses, and then there was 20% of the money was going on uh, the repayment of of debt to the Topco companies, uh, which uh, which is a big old whack uh, coming out, you know, off the top basically. Um, and all that's going to do, of course, is force up rents. If, if we apply that situation to the to the institutional residential portfolios, they, it's just going to force up the rents. I mean, I've acquired, just slightly off topic, but I've acquired care homes for clients before, you know, national charity clients, um, where the vendor has been in, in exactly that situation um, because they've had a lease which has proved to be completely, um, you know, un- unviable after about five, 10 years because of basically the venture capitalists who were controlling the freehold and the, the debt on the freehold, which was significant. So, so let's, let's take a, an actual example. So uh, if we look at a, um, we, we're just gonna say, uh, what, what's the average house price at the moment? About 250,000, give or take? Yeah, something like that, yeah, yeah. Now, let, let's assume that the average, um, just to keep it simple, we'll, we'll say that the average investment property uh, value is is uh, something less than that. And we'll call it 200,000, just to, you know, if you average it over the country. Uh, of course, you've got, uh, you've got uh, properties up in the, uh, the back blocks of, of, you know, certain corners of the country where they're 20,000. And you've got other places where they're two million, but we'll call it an average of of two hundred for this this example. 
and we'll say it's a three-bedroom terraced house. Now, you've, you've got an individual who uh, they've moved out, they've moved uh, into a, another primary residence, and they're left with this property. Um, what, what's it renting for? What, what's the average rent nationally? Don't know nationally around here it'd be nine hundred thousand. Yeah, I think you six, don't go with a thousand if you go with two hundred. Okay, yeah. Let's keep yeah. the numbers round because mm. it's early and none that's, of us are that's mathematicians. What, that's why I'm making it. They've got it leveraged up to, um, and we'll keep it simple again. But we'll say that there's one hundred and fifty of a mortgage. Yeah, and yeah. And we'll say that they, uh, they're on an interest rate. Uh, what, what, what's a, a typical interest rate today? Oh, well, can we just say 5% if we're going to have to do any math? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 5% seems easy. So, uh, so uh, 5% of, of 150 is what? Oh, no, who's got the calculator? Math lesson. Yeah. Now, if you're renting it for 900, and and you you take out the you know the the various uh, bits and pieces. What what are we actually talking about in terms of the difference here? Uh, if someone's holding, most high street banks will say that you're going to have about twenty five percent of rent in costs in terms of maintenance, agency fees, insurance, all the other you know compliance requirements, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So if you said the seven and a half grand interest a year is going to be 625 quid a month so you've got your 900 pounds but then we're taking 75 percent of that as a proxy that's 675 pounds a month you're already clearing a massive 50 pounds a month and that's why a lot of people who are, are in, in the game are in it for the long haul because they're banking on capital growth because of those sorts of numbers there's no there's next to no cash flow but then as soon as you introduce the taxation requirement you can see very quickly that's going to go into negative territory awfully quickly so so they're, they're in their new uh primary residence that they've moved into delighted they've, they've had the pay rise they've, they've taken the capital gain previously from the first one uh, and suddenly they're they're furiously looking down the back of the couch for a few pounds to uh to, to pay the section 24. so um, i think it'd be interesting to see what christine has to say about this but my impression very much, and bear in mind I wasn't involved in the market in any meaningful way pre-2008, is that a lot of buy-to-let, certainly in better locations, looked a lot like that. This is why it had that traditional pension feeling to it. You did feed the beast every month with money because the cash flow wasn't there. The big, the big change on that front was actually um, when the PRA changed the interest coverage rules in 2017 which meant that you needed much more coverage to get bigger mortgages on, on rents. And therefore, in London, unless you fix for five years at a particularly low rate, you couldn't release the capital from the properties. And that, that had a significant impact as well on... And it's part of that, as Christine was saying, the, the dripping tap, if we want to call it that, of the, the suite of government policies that has been there to discourage the smaller landlord and encourage the institutional landlord definitely definitely because i like you say adam um before they increase the coverage required on the mortgage 
the um it would be quite common for a landlord i mean i became an accidental landlord um and then it because i bought my first house and then a year later i decided to go to college like you do when you're in your 20s okay so um i i rented it out but this is pre-88 so it was easy easy peasy no no trouble at all um but and, and as time went on uh, to fund my college sort of social life, not only had three part time jobs, but I, I even though I had no income, basically, apart from my student um, grant, because in those days you actually got money rather than you borrowing it, they actually gave it to you. Um, I was able to um, take further advances. And of course, they're completely free of tax, aren't they? So um, I did end up selling that house, actually, only because it was so heavily mortgaged by that point. It didn't seem any point in keeping it. Um, I wish I had, though, but there you go. That, uh, that leads into a good okay. question, actually. Um, Adam, what, what can buy-to-let landlords do to reduce the impact of Section 24? And That's what we're supposed to be answering the question to, isn't it? 2021, <laughs> 2022. Back to the actual question, yeah, absolutely. Well... <laughs> I think I think the smaller ones need to be on top of their expenses for a start. I think if they're self-managing, and, and a fair few people still are, you know, um, if they're self-managing, they could. It depends how many properties you've got, but they could consider a management charge for for their own limited company or their own partnership vehicle. So if they made a up to a fifteen percent management charge, that might be construed to be a legitimate management charge. Which, would, by the way, this is not tax advice. I'm not a qualified tax advisor. Um, should mention that. Should have mentioned that up front. But this is just things that I've heard, um, and I know are in action for a number of people who've got bigger portfolios in their personal name. Um, they can consider incorporation relief, Section 162 incorporation relief. Um, it's not cheap to get it done, but it might well be extremely commercially viable. So that effectively is a part of the tax code that says if you've always run your sole trader um, enterprise as a business, then you can move it over to a limited company and it can it can legitimately be considered to have always been a limited company. And that has a number of benefits. Talking about Christine's single property there, that wouldn't be enough to constitute um, in Section 162 relief. But if Christine had done that 15 times, it might well have been the case she could have moved them into the company. And one of the interesting parts of that is it actually moves them onto the company balance sheet at today's value rather than at the value that Christine had purchased the property at. So it's one way of deferring some of those capital gains that we were just discussing. Um, so but also make the most of their mileage expenses. Do they go to property networking? Are they members of the NRLA? All of those legitimate costs, are they, are, they, are they putting in a home office allowance? Are they all the things that you can do to minimise? Because every remember, every other expense is still fully tax deductible. So it's making the most of that, really, that's, that's the key. And you, you quite often find, as you go down the, the route, down the rabbit hole, that ultimately it's a rock and a hard place. There's either a big cost to incorporate or divest, some of which will be capital gains tax, as Christine said, or you're going to carry on swallowing massive tax bills for the rest of the, the rest of your life. Now, the, the flip side of that is, of course, property's gone up quite a lot in the last 12 months. So that will help with some of the tax bills that people might have to pay when they dispose. Um, but there, there aren't 
It's not a silver bullet situation. Unfortunately, Logan, there isn't really too much. Just like everything, two certainties in life, right? Death and taxes. And it's just evidence of evidence of that, really. Yeah, that's right. And just just on the uh, shameless plug uh, piece, so uh, property property networking partners and property. Uh, you're one of the founders, um, and and for those of you, I, I'm one of the members. Um, so partners and property are a property networking uh, group, which uh, they operate across England. They've got. Um, I think five venues now, uh, and I'll, I'll do a little little test with Christine. So we've got uh, London, Bristol, Birmingham, Southampton, and Manchester. Manchester. Yeah, Manchester. Manchester. My hometown. How can I not say that? Yeah. Uh, and where, where do you find partners in property if you're you're not yet a uh, participant, uh, Adam? So we've got a free Facebook group called the Partners in Property Community Group which is worth joining if you've got questions, if you want to check out um, some of the things that we do. Um, and you can also find our Facebook page, Partners in Property. And we've also got a LinkedIn community page as well. Um, but there tends to be more active chatter on Facebook from all our contributors. So I didn't even slip that in deliberately, Will, but that was beautifully done. Can I just say thank you for that? <laughs> yeah, my, my, my pleasure. And, and on, on that sort of note, um, uh, landlordstudio.com is that, that correct or .co.uk um, Logan .co.uk yes landlordstudio.co.uk um, okay did everyone get that landlordstudio.co.uk yes okay I will uh, self plug off the uh, back of your comment about mileage expenses Adam we do help you do that so uh, definitely do that for your uh, your rental business for a five or a month um which i think is the that the entry point for uh landlord studio and you join up to partners and property which is uh a, a including lunch uh 50 to 75 depending on the venue is that that right adam that's right yeah but your first two months you can get your first month half price and your second month for free if you put in either, well, if you put Will Mallard in, then Will Mallard will get some free months and he'll be very grateful um, as your referrer. So that's uh, that's one way to get, get it done cheaply. There's also a link for a, if you just want to try the meeting, and it's much more than just the meeting, but the meeting is a big part of the of the monthly sub. Um, we have a link for £10 tickets as well for your, your first try. So... We give it away. And, and, and that, that can be marked on your uh, accounting function uh, within your landlord studio app. Is that right? Of course, of course. <laughs> okay, so so back back to the um, what what can uh, what what is the big risk of getting this wrong? You're um, you're you're the person who's. Uh, working away the rest of the time or you're focused on things other than your uh, property empire of, of, of one buy to let or two buy to lets which uh, are ticking away in the background you've, you've got all the the usual things going on with with tenants and toilets and maintenance and and what have you um, but in terms of what what's the um, what's under the water as far as this iceberg of 
uh, Section 24? What, what, what's the risk? Well, let's face it. One of the big issues at the moment is the interest rate isn't very high. So that's a, a, an impending increase is coming in 2022. Not a huge one, I don't believe. I don't think there'll be a huge one for many years. But still, if, it's, if you're struggling on the basis of very low rates, it's only going to become more of a problem over time. Um, but also, like always, if there's a taxation issue, then uh, you know you, you pay your tax on the 31st of January, uh, and it's a lag indicator. And if you're paying tax on profits you haven't made, it's a problem. Exactly. And interest rates. I mean, going back to when I bought my first house back in the olden days, um, I mean, the, the interest rates we've got now are just unbelievably historically low, aren't they, Adam? I mean, I think I, I was paying like 6 8% or something, and that was absolutely normal. And I remember being in my car driving somewhere to a client when when we the day we got thrown out the ERM and interest rates went up to 15% temporarily, but you know, for a couple of hours, I know, but still they, they were back down to the norm then, weren't they? Of like 9%. So I think most smaller landlords who've bought in the last few years, there's no way they'd survive that, is there? Look, the point one was that when we went to point one uh, uh, after the pandemic had really taken hold. It was the lowest rate for 325 years, but we, we haven't been above 0.75 since March 2009. Um, so we, we now live in, this is one of those classic situations, the last 12 years of everyone's experiences, 13 years now of everyone's experiences, have been an ultra low interest rate environment. You forget that other things can happen. And you're quite right, Christine, the average long-term interest rate is 6%. And if, if the base rate was 6% at the moment, or even if the mortgage pay rate was 6% at the moment, then, you know, 95% of landlords would be out of business. We'd be clinging on by the skin of our teeth, but we wouldn't be making a business out of it. We'd be keeping our heads above water. And the other, the other, other point in that as well is that, generally speaking, the trending down interest rate over the last 30 or 40 years is one of the reasons that's fueled the capital growth quite as much as it has. So... Sharp increases in interest rates would lower the value of property ultimately, and that would, and because it would withdraw credit availability from the market, and that's quite damaging. That's ultimately what caused the 2008 property price crash, not, not the whole of the crash, but in terms of the difference it made to property, that withdrawal of the availability of credit is the primary driver. Um, so it would be incredibly dangerous. So th th this is something people need to be considering. Um, quite quite a lot. And uh, there, are, there are other considerations, I guess, as well. Uh, and again, it's got, to be, it's got to be talking to a tax advisor, but Will's point around private equity and private debt sucking money out of companies. The other thing you could do, I suppose, is you could put the money into your property portfolio as loans, um, and then you could suck money out as interest to yourself. Although I guess that would probably still get caught under the legislation. So I'm just trying to think on the fly there. I've never thought of that one before. But what, what, would we all be in agreement that the number one first step is, is start to get a handle on what your numbers are? Oh, 100%. 100%. I would say so. Yeah, it's kind of like um, you know, uh, playing in a sports game and not knowing what the score is or you know, um, and, and wondering... Even knowing, the rules, knowing the rules, Will, really. So not knowing the rules. That's effectively what you're, what you're saying, isn't it? I shared this story in uh, the last podcast, I think, but I'll, I'll share it with you, Adam. 
uh, one of our users uh, was basically running a property portfolio of a spreadsheet, but didn't know his numbers. And then it wasn't until they transferred all of his uh, expenses and everything into a software landlord studio. Um, he was only making five pounds a month and he didn't realize. <laughs> I pointed out very unkindly that the five pounds went straight on Logan's uh, uh, license. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we took that last five pounds. <laughs> it's a really, it's a really interesting one. But it, you know, you say that I've had a few, I've done a few portfolio consultations for people since Section Twenty Four came in, and I've had people say, "Oh, this tax thing is going to ruin me," and I've gone through the figures with them, I've done a bit of analysis, and said, "Well." And I mentioned that 25% figure we talked about earlier in terms of running costs for your portfolio and found that, that some of these people are spending 50 to 60% on their running costs. And the actual the tax was actually only going to make a 9% difference to them. But they're overspending by 35, 25 to 35% on their running costs. So they've got a much bigger problem than the tax. But so I think stage one, like you say, we'll get a handle on the numbers. Stage two, take some action based on those numbers. And make sure you know what you've got. Quite so many people are not aware of what what if your agent is charging you £325 for a gas safety certificate because it's a, a London agent or whatever, how do you know whether that's a reasonable price or not? You know, I can promise you it's not. Um, but you need to be on top of all of those things. Otherwise, like anything, unfortunately, it's always been a business. Some people have done it as a hobby, and that's fine. But what this has done is it's meant if you don't run it as a business, you're gonna go broke. You're gonna go broke. So Adam, if you were, if you just had one or two properties now, okay, um, I suppose you've got two choices, a, a landlord out there. Either you think, well, I can't afford or I don't want to be in this thing anymore. So you would get, you would sell them over two years to obviously minimise your capital gains and your tax. Um, but the alternative, I suppose, then is to say, well, hang on, if I really want to make a go with this, I have to buy more properties. I have to get to a number of properties where I can then use whatever section it was you said to to transfer it into a limited company, although it might cost me five, ten grand or whatever it costs. And then I've got a properly set up business that's actually worth something, because, of course, the difference between just owning them in your own name as like a hobby and having a business is you can sell a business, can't you? If you decide to divest, you can sell the whole business. And then uh, stamp duty on shares is by the, the half, whatever it is, 5%, is it? I don't know, half, half percent, whatever. Percent, half, half percent. Percent. And, and the properties go with it, don't they? So that's, right. that's I how I understand it. The only thing that I pick up from there, Kristen, is it might be better that they start the limited company now rather than buy more in their personal name and then incorporate. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, sure. it would depend on their one or two and what capital gains they're carrying and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So again, that comes back to having a good handle on the numbers. But you've you've set me up perfectly for a, an I told you so moment because back in 2015 when this all happened, I, I, I said in my in my inimitable style of trying to make things simple. Um, I said, look, this is George Osborne and the government giving us a simple message, go big or go home. And those are the two options you just described, basically. Um, and you're, you're right, those are the two options in my view. Yeah. Well, guys, it's been a, a pleasure having you on. Uh, we, we might just uh, have closing comments. Um, so, Logan, do, do you want to uh, kick off and then um, 
and and then uh, followed on by Christine and Adam. Yeah, it's actually been really interesting, um, particularly around, uh, I guess, the method of transferring it into a proper entity. And I totally agree that actually by doing that, you're actually creating value that you can then potentially sell later on. And I, th- I think that's just that whole mindset of moving into running everything like a business, proper a proper entity. So yeah, I really appreciate your thoughts, Adam. Yeah, do you want me to go next, Will? Or oh, Christine? Okay, I was only going to say, um, I think that we've, we've also got to bear in mind, this is probably part of the, uh, as Christine was saying, a decade-long government strategy, and it's not over yet, ultimately. So I think being battle-hardened is important. Logan mentioned mindset there, and that's absolutely key. Um, but I also think what the government are doing here is they're creating a barrier to entry, to new entrants. If you're already in a market where barriers to entry come along, what happens, just like Christine was saying earlier, you're talking about basic economics and prices go up. So ultimately, and profit levels generally go up, not down. So your big, your big um, landlords massively prefer legislation. Uh, it gives them an advantage um, and scale will give you an advantage because hundreds of properties you can afford to have someone being in charge of compliance and thousands of properties you've got a compliance team ultimately but one or two you're in charge of compliance and, and therein lies the problem so uh, worth bearing in mind um, and the other thing we haven't touched on is alternative ways of getting around it such as serviced accommodation but i think we probably have to do that on another day because that's, a podcast that's another topic isn't it yeah definitely um I I would just say that I echo Adam's sentiment, uh, go big or go home, basically, because I think if you're going to just poodle along with your one, two, three, even up to five or maybe even 10 properties, then you genuinely, as Adam said, this is this is just another incremental step. There will be uh, there will be more steps to discourage um, small landlords from being in this business and. so you are, you've got to make the decision um, and obviously you've got to have access to funding. That's a big part of that decision. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one because I, I think this blindsided quite a few people. It was totally unexpected. So I, we're now all bracing ourselves for what might come next, which will probably be equally unexpected. Yeah, I, I'm just going to take a... Um, a very quick historical overview so if you, you think back to what what is is property so it's land um, you know if you go way back you're talking about the crown estates and the uh the landed gentry had you know it was split up the country was split up into um you know increasingly smaller pieces which um, more and more people had access to ownerships or different tenures where uh, they, they had the right to, to occupy it. And then uh, in more recent years, more of those uh, or smaller pieces of those bits of land were allowed to be rented out to others. Um, and your ability to borrow against that potential for income uh, is a relatively recent thing. It, it's certainly within... Uh, my lifetime on a large scale, certainly, you know, from main banking um, perspective, and, and people forget that uh, this is all uh, all relatively recent stuff. Um, now, the the move to commercialisation or 
uh, the recognition that there's a uh, that being in property is being in business. Uh, you, you're dealing with quite a serious what's ultimately a health and and um, and and safety uh, business. Like you're you're talking about where people are going to lie their heads at night. Uh, it needs to be done properly. Um, we've, we've spoken about that in the context of things like EPCs and uh, other compliance, but uh, it's very clear that your your ability to run a business starts with A, having some numbers, B, having some input from uh, either like-minded individuals or uh, appropriate advisors and tax advisors being the, the pertinent one in this case. Um, and they're tax and, deductible, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. 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 Good. Good point. Good point. And it, it, even understanding that point, I think, is a you know a, a good start point for uh, the vast majority of accidental landlords. I think um, anyone that um, uh, has found this interesting, have a look through the uh, some of the other uh, back podcasts. Have a look at the blog posts that um, uh, that landlord studio are putting out each. Uh, almost every day at this point um, on on this stuff and I encourage you uh, um, to get in touch with, with, with Christine, myself, Adam, come along to a Partners in Property meeting if you're um, in one of the uh, locations in England. Indeed, go on the Facebook group if you're not. Um, and um, I'm Will Mallard, so once again, thanks guys. Uh, you're very welcome. We'll get you back on again, Adam. Um, and and we yeah we need to get an up to date profile picture for the, the promotion. <laughs> Just take a screenshot right now. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're looking really good now, mate. But uh, you're looking fantastic in that profile shot. That you see <laughs> mate, it's nothing nothing an airbrush wouldn't solve, mate. <laughs> Bit of Photoshop. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. It was a pleasure. Oh, it's been good. Thanks, Adam. All right. Bye. Very good. Welcome to My Property World, a light and informative look at all things property. We have designed this series for people involved in property and property finance in the UK market. However, we do take examples from all around the property world. Our aim is for us to make money from property together. Whether that be buying, selling, financing, trading or getting involved in a deal in another way. We do this by informing, entertaining and enjoying ourselves talking property, which gives you a chance to get to know us, what we're up to and to check us out until you're ready to make money together. In the meantime, My Property World is free and fun, so plug in your headphones and enjoy. We would love for you to like, share and comment, so please do on social media. And if you have questions, ideas for topics or deals you would like to explore, we're always looking for guests, so get in touch via the My Property World profile.